Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. So writes Paul in his letter to the Romans. We see the word ashamed and wonder, why on earth would anyone be ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus? who gives us life. Normally, we're ashamed of bad news or embarrassing news, right? News that I am somehow associated with or responsible for. For instance, someone might be ashamed of a moral indiscretion on their part. Uh, They had an affair or they drank too much and, and got into a fight. Or they're ashamed to be identified with someone or something that is an embarrassment. Maybe it's about the past. I'm ashamed at how our country treated Vietnam veterans when they came back from the war. And that's a true statement for me. I'm ashamed to admit that last year I placed a bet on the Twins to win the World Series. Not ashamed this year, though. Nothing but good news from the boys of summer so far. No nor should we be ashamed of the gospel, right? It is good news. It is the good news that Jesus brings us life. But Paul wouldn't have brought up being ashamed unless some people were ashamed of the gospel. What what might that have been? Well, in Paul's time, it appears that the whole idea that God would die, and in a crucifixion, no less, was Scandalous. It was a scandalous idea, um, at the very least, um, and just plain foolish, right? Maybe some were ashamed to admit that they followed such a strange God or such a weak God who would die. Are people today ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? I never saw anyone as ashamed as Jerry. Jerry was an aspiring cool guy in seventh grade, went to grade school with him. He's trying to act uh, and look tough and get in with the cool long-haired kids. No, this was the early 70s, right? Enter Donald, who had been an acquaintance of Jerry's since grade school. Donald was uh, smart and nerdy and kind of lovable in an awkward sort of way. There was nothing remotely (laughs) cool or tough about Donald. And so, Jerry was the kind of guy who would pretend that he didn't know Donald when they were at school, right? Well, one day, Donald passed Jerry in the hallway between classes. Jerry was, uh, he was hanging with the cool, tough guys. And just as Donald passed him, of course, Jerry is trying to ignore him, Donald gave Jerry the peace sign and said, Peace be with you, Jerry, in this sweet little nerdy voice. Now, what a, what a sweet kind of pastoral little greeting for a seventh grader. It's kind of 
touching, isn't it? But how do you think Jerry responded? Well, I know because Jerry told me. <laughs> and he, was, he was ashamed that Donald acknowledged their relationship publicly and then gasp, blessed him. <laughs> right? For Jerry, how would the tough guys ever respect him after they found out that he had this uh, peace-loving, dorky little friend? Jerry's point of view, mind you. I guess you could say that poor Donald was a party pooper. Well, do, do we ever treat our Christian identity like it was Donald? Or do we treat Jesus this way, namely as sort of a goody-two-shoes or a party pooper in some way, shape, or form, that we want to keep our distance from around the people that maybe we want to impress? And if Paul is concerned about being ashamed, the words that he chooses don't necessarily help. For instance, Paul writes in our lesson today about God's righteousness. There's a big word for you. And, and, and he writes what it means for us to be righteous. Kind of a churchy and pretentious word, no? Who wants to be righteous? Unless, of course, it's the righteous brothers. And the truth is, as, as Jenny was, was getting at, we, we know we're, we're not righteous anyways. So who's, how can we even pretend that that's who we are? But do stay with me. The word righteous is the whole key to Paul's point, and not in the way that you would think. Now, to us, Righteous means usually a quality or qualities. Pure and holy. Hmm? As the word would suggest, right. Someone who is righteous is morally and spiritually pure and right. Um, usually we think a righteous person is not very down to earth. Not exactly, uh, you know, one of the gang. A goody two-shoes. And far too often one who is righteous or thinks they are, views themselves as morally and spiritually superior to others and therefore has the power to judge others. We might call such a person self-righteous. So for us, oftentimes the word righteous just quickly morphs into self-righteous by association. I don't know if these images get at the... Uh... Oh, do you remember? Speaking of self-righteous... Anybody recognize her? It's Church Lady from Saturday Night Live. And isn't, and maybe this is getting closer to the truth, isn't this another reason to be ashamed of our Christian faith and association? There are many impressions out there in our world with neighbors and friends about what Christianity is, and for many it is a harsh, judgmental, foolish, holier-than-thou sort of enterprise. And so if we say we believe in Jesus, maybe people will think the same about us, that we're one of, one of those. I think for more moderate mainline Christians like ourselves, sometimes we get embarrassed by our association with more 
extreme judgmental Christians, shall we say? Do you have examples coming to mind of that when I talk about extreme? And it might make you embarrassed to hear about it. William Sloan Coffin, a notable American preacher and writer in the 20th century, was known to challenge college professors when they made disparaging comments about Christianity. You know how it is with critics of the Christian church because they often focus only on the hypocritical, self-righteous, judgmental types out there, right? But Coffin's question to them was always, why in your classes do you judge art, music, and literature by the best examples, but judge Christianity by its worst examples? Isn't that a pretty good, pretty good point? Pretty good question. I'm totally with them on that. Usually when I hear atheists or agnostics critiques of Christian faith, I'm I'm nodding with them. I don't believe in the God that they're describing either. It's based on a petty and mean theology, not the God of love and of life that liberates us for life, that sets us free. Then Paul asks in Romans, what if God is not about finger-wagging but about life? There's, there's a thought. And yet, when Paul writes in our lesson today about the righteousness of God is revealed, we instinctively cringe a bit, maybe. The Bible often talks about the righteousness of God, and one thing's for sure, if anyone deserves to be called righteous, it's God. I mean, God's the real deal, right? But the trouble is, from where we sit in this life of ours, the righteousness of God doesn't necessarily do us much good. In fact, it just confirms the image that we have of God as perfect distant, and perhaps very displeased with us for screwing up all the time. As a result, I think the image that many people have of God might be something like this. Doesn't look too happy, (laughs) really. For many years, Martin Luther saw God this way. Before he started the Reformation, Luther was a Roman Catholic monk and scholar, teacher. Luther often read and taught his students the verses that we read today, especially verses 16 and 17, that talk about the righteousness of God. But privately, Luther wrote about what he really thought about the righteousness of God. I'm going to read you an excerpt of it. I quote, I hated this phrase, the righteousness of God, which I had been taught to understand that God is righteous and punishes sinners and the unrighteous. But I, who however blamelessly I lived as a monk, felt myself to be a sinner before God with a deeply troubled conscience and could not rely on being reconciled through the satisfaction I could carry out myself. I did not love, no, hated the the just God who punishes sinners, writes Luther. And I silently rebelled against God, that God should threaten us with his righteousness and his anger. Pretty honest, huh? This as he's teaching to his students in a Catholic university. So obviously, 
Luther tried very hard to be as good and pleasing to God as he could be, but felt he was never good enough. He knew very well the unholy thoughts and feelings that lived in him, even if on the outside he looked every bit the holy monk. The bottom line is he knew God was righteous and he was not. And this tormented him, not only because he felt inadequate, but because he was bracing for the punishment he felt that, uh, that he fully expected from God. Maybe Luther's image of God was more like this. Oh, that guy doesn't haunt your nightmares, huh? Crazy judge. But one day, Luther was reading Romans 1, 16 through 17, and he suddenly read these words as if for the first time. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And suddenly it hit Luther. God is not against us, but for us. The righteousness of God is not an unbridgeable gap or a sledgehammer of judgment. The righteousness of God is God's never-ending desire to close that gap. God's righteousness is about God's love and God's faithfulness to his children that he would come down to us in a life-giving, life-saving relationship. And so righteousness is not perfection, it's love. And love is an active thing, isn't it? As Paul points out in Philippians, Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself of power, taking the form of a servant. That's the power of the gospel right there. God shows up where we live to share the life of God with us. It's what drove God to get up off his throne and become one of us. Again, this is faithfulness on God's part. No matter how difficult we are, were and are, God is patient and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, as the scriptures teach us. So, the righteousness of God means close to the opposite of what had been assumed for centuries. It's not God's propensity to condemn life, but to give life. It is God's faithfulness to us. No matter our failings, God is faithful. And that, by the way, is exactly why we can have faith in God. The Reformation was born, quite literally, with this insight from Romans 1.17. And as many historians have suggested, Luther is second only to Jesus for his impact on the history of the Western world. Luther grasped, as Paul did before him, the faithfulness of God for us, the love and the lengths that God was willing to go to bear our burdens and to share God's life with us. So too are we to do likewise with our neighbors. Yup, the sinners too. When you think about it, this is not really something to be ashamed of, is it? 
Amen.